Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. The conversation amongst finance and accounting professionals is now very much the same all over the world. That was not the case 30 years ago. We're talking about the same stuff. You know, obviously things like COVID have, you know, that's a universal thing that everyone is experiencing, maybe in slightly different ways, but it's something that's a shared experience. Uh, Same thing with the global financial crisis around 10 years ago. Those are things that have created an environment together with globalization and communication, that means that we're very much on the same page. You know, I think that's a tremendous democratizing influence. We may not be seeing it in the political world, but we've certainly seen it in the business and the finance and accounting world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Trend in the Numbers. Now, you've just heard from this week's guest mentor, David Axon. And like most guest mentors we have on the show, David is an awesome guest. He shares some fantastic insights, great practical tips, so many takeaways, And there's at least one, two, maybe three things that you're going to find useful for you in this episode. I guarantee it. Because to one of David's point, the conversation amongst our profession, our community, is becoming more and more similar no matter what parts we are in the world. But what I think really makes David unique is that having had nearly four decades worth of experience working with CFOs in over 40 different countries, yes, 40 different countries, as a consultant, author, speaker, and a thought leader on strategy. I mean, David was one of the co-founders of the Hacker Group and a former partner at Accenture, as well as holding down other finance roles in major institutions. I think we're very lucky to have had David come on the show and share his time and invest it with us to cover a number of different topics. You know, some of the ones we go on to deconstruct are the three T's that are democratizing the accounting and finance profession. Uh, we go through the impacts and aftermath of COVID-19 on many businesses and some of the things we can start doing about it now. Also, I love this expression, but David's on a bit of a mission to liberate accountants and finance professionals from the tyranny of the spreadsheet. And we also dip into the three Ds that are liberating the finance and accounting profession from those said spreadsheets. So as I said, I challenge you to find something that you can't take away from this episode. And if you do, please reach out and comment with this post so we can make sure we keep bringing on great guest mentors to help you remain relevant and have influential, successful careers in accounting and finance. Now, before we go to the interview, as always, you can find detailed timestamp show notes, key quotes, resources, and ways to connect with David and more at sitnshow.com. And we really appreciate when you recommend the show to colleagues and friends. You can subscribe on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. And again, thank you again for investing your time with us today. So without further ado, over to David and the show. David, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Our pleasure to have you on in terms of how we got in contact with your article in Finance Management Magazine. And I was um, very impressed with some of the advice in there. But before we jump into some of that, which would be very useful for our audience, what would also be useful for them is to maybe give a sense of your career journey in and around counting and finance. Yeah, no, it's been very cool. I've been very lucky. Grew up in the UK, went to university in Leeds, got a degree in accounting and computer science. The computer science is now so obsolete, it's funny, because it was so long ago. 
Uh, worked in banking, consulting and accounting in London for about eight years. Moved to the US in 91 and was co-founder of a company called The Hackett Group that does a lot of work in benchmarking and best practice research across back office functions. Uh, was part of the leadership team that took the company public in an IPO on NASDAQ in uh, 1998. Was there for about 13 years, then spent a couple of years as head of corporate planning for Bank of America in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was self-employed for a few years, doing some consulting, wrote a couple of books. And I've just literally, uh, last six months, retired after spending nearly 10 years at Accenture, uh, where I was the lead of their uh, global finance strategy and thought leadership. I, I mean, look, you've covered so much. Uh, no wonder why your article was amazing, and I'd love to share that more with our audience in a second. But in terms of the, that career, any particular experiences that would regard particularly memorable? I mean, starting a company, writing a book, you know, moving between England and the US. I mean, what stands out most for you as, as particularly memorable? The thing that I look back on is, you know, I grew up in a small town in the north of England in the late 60s, 1970s. So my exposure to the world was really limited. And I've been really lucky. I've worked in over 45 different countries around the world. So I've done work in Vietnam, Colombia, Brazil, Russia, Saudi Arabia, you know, as well as places like Australia, the US, and most of Europe. And that diversity of experience for someone coming from a very cloistered background has been absolutely phenomenal. The ability to be able to interact with people with different cultures, different religions, different political systems, and yet have a connection. And that's been the coolest experience in my life. You know, my wife and I still love traveling and we plan to do a lot more of it. Uh, but I was very lucky. I got to see a lot of the world at someone else's expense and uh, was able to take advantage of that. And uh, I think from a finance and accounting standpoint, the thing that's really interesting to me is I started traveling internationally in the late 1980s. You know, I spent six months in Thailand and Malaysia in the mid to late 80s working out there. And Everywhere you went, the conversation was different in those days. In okay. faces, the language was different. I remember working in Thailand with a translator, and every interview took three hours because we had to I ask the question, he'd translate it, etc., and we'd go on like that. A couple of things have changed. First of all, you know, rightly or wrongly, I was lucky enough to be born with English as my mother tongue. And I can now pretty much go everywhere in the world, with one or two exceptions, and have a, a credible business conversation using English, which is great because I can only order beer in other languages. Um, the second <laughs> thing is the conversation amongst finance and accounting professionals is now very much the same all over the world. That was not the case 30 years ago. We're talking about the same stuff. You know, obviously things like COVID have, you know, that's a universal thing that everyone is experiencing, maybe in slightly different ways, but it's something that's a shared experience. Uh, same thing with the global financial crisis around 10 years ago. Those are things that have created an environment together with globalization and communication that means that we're very much on the same page. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a tremendous democratizing influence. We may not be seeing it in the political world, but we've certainly seen it in the business and the finance and accounting world. Yeah, it's interesting. So what has been the trigger for that, David, in your mind? Has it been the opening up of travel? Has it just been the progress of technology? Has it just been the generational the developments now that we've got on a more millennials or a better mix or diversity in our workforce what's driven that nexus i think that's a great question i simplify it to the three t's it's travel trade and technology 
<laughs> Obviously, travel's become a lot cheaper. You know, I remember taking a package holiday with my parents to Spain in the mid-1970s, and that was a pretty unusual thing to do. Low-cost air travel came in. You know, before your time, we had Freddie Laker and his 99-pound one-way fares to New York. So that's been a tremendous democratizing influence. Travel is now open to pretty much anybody, you know, who wishes to experience the world. Trade has clearly changed dramatically. You know, I live just outside Cleveland, Ohio in the United States. And, you know, Cleveland was largely an industrial city that largely supported the automotive industry in Detroit, which is about 200 miles away. And the automotive supply chain basically went from Detroit to Cleveland. You know, now the automotive supply chain goes from Detroit to Thailand, to China, to Australia, to, you know, wherever it may be. So the trade element has been huge. And then obviously technology. You know, it's not that many years ago you and I couldn't be doing this. Uh, you're sitting in Ireland. I'm sitting in the U.S. We can have a conversation. It's almost like we're in the same room. And that technology, both around communication and information, I think are the other two big forces that have really driven this change. And, you know, we've just been lucky to live through that period where we've been able to take advantage of a lot of that. I am similar to you, David. I regard it as very lucky. Some people uh, may, may feel it's sort of uh, upsetting or tipping over the apple cart for a bit for them and uh, maybe too much change too soon or whatever. But I suppose it has been building over the last number of, of decades. Uh, you've probably seen that in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose where you are now, what, what's exciting you most about your current work? Well, the interesting thing is I started in finance in, gosh, 1983, so it was an awfully long time ago. (laughs) And my first day on the job, I was given a PC. It didn't look much like the PCs we use today. didn't even have a hard drive. It had two floppy disk drives, and most people don't know what they are, but uh, they were the equivalent (laughs) of our thumb drives or whatever on which we stored programs and data. And the program I was using was Lotus 123, and I spent my finance day mucking about with spreadsheets. Well, you walk into the average finance organization now, 37 years later, and what's changed? Well, the software's Excel and it's on the cloud, but we're still Mm -hmm. mucking about with spreadsheets. Now, in the last three to five years, I've begun to see a quantum leap forward. You know, one of my missions in life is to liberate the finance professional from the tyranny of the spreadsheet. You know, we've been (laughs) phenomenally good at taking what is a a great personal productivity tool and trying to make it into an enterprise-wide planning and analytics system or an enterprise-wide accounting platform or a reporting platform. And being finance and accounting professionals, we're very good at manipulating the data and the software to allow us to do that. But the tools out there that can do that so much more easily can eliminate a lot of the manual activity of rekeying data, consolidating spreadsheets, reformatting stuff to make a report, mm. none of which you need to be a chartered accountant to do. You don't need an MBA to do this yeah. stuff. And yeah. yet we spend yeah. a vast amount of time doing these types of things. So what really excites me today is the hype around technology that I was taught in university nearly 40 years ago is actually coming to reality. You know, if I was a young finance professional today, and a lot of the guys and girls I worked with at Accenture, incredibly excited and motivated. You know, most people think accounting's boring. I have to think it's one of the most interesting jobs in the world because it's sort of like the X-rays of a company. You know, you really can tell a story from the numbers, and that's always got me excited and energized. So that's what keeps me going at the moment. We can see that we get your passion. It's coming across. We're on video now, but I'm sure our audience get that by listening in, David. And I mean, it must be quite neat because um, when when you're saying when you're at university, it probably seems so far off. This sort of this future. 
this automation and like it, it's here now and it's just I'm a bit like you is like I see the importance of the spreadsheet but just that extra reformatting of a cell or playing with it and inserting extra columns and adding more data to it and manipulating more takes us away from where we can really probably add the most value, which is actually working with the business, helping them through, you know, pointing back to the article you wrote as well, you know, COVID-19 and its aftermath. Look, there's so much great stuff in there. I'll do my best to draw items in there. But uh, would you mind maybe sort of sharing with our audience sort of in general what you were sort of writing about in that article? Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Clearly, the future is still unclear. We're not exactly sure how the future is going to manifest itself. The one thing we do know is it's going to be different. But when I look at COVID-19, to me, it's just another in a series of transformational events we've had over the last 30 or 40 years. And what it's really telling us is there's no such thing as the past being a good predictor of the future. You know, whether we go back to the dot-com crisis in you know, the late 90s, we had 9-11 following pretty soon after that. We had the global financial crisis in 07, 08. You know, we've now got COVID-19. We've had multiple things in between, like, you know, the world going crazy that Greece couldn't pay its bills a few years ago. There have been a lot of events like that. So what it's really telling us is the only certainty is uncertainty. And I think when I think of my training as an accounting professional, The very word accounting means looking backwards. We're accounting for stuff that has already happened. And I think to me, the true distinction between an accounting professional and a finance professional is a finance professional is comfortable looking forwards, which means you have to be comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty. And that, when you put your finance and accounting lens on that, it challenges some fundamental assumptions. Why do we build very detailed budgets? The only thing more detailed does in a budget is create more variances because our crystal ball isn't that good. We can't predict the future. So one of the things COVID is doing is really putting the finance professional actually at the very center because whenever we have a good crisis, suddenly finance and accounting people become very important. We've got to conserve cash. We have to allocate capital in the most disciplined manner we possibly can. We really become the center of the business world in terms of a survival, but then also preparation for growth. And therefore, that creates some wonderful opportunities for us to be really cool people in the company. I know. I mean, we wouldn't have said that 20, 30, 40 years ago, but I completely agree with it, David. I mean, like if you think about it, every major decision being made in a company or business or even social enterprise has a financial implication attached to it more often than not. Yeah. So, you know, we have a real massive opportunity to influence the future, not just report on the past. And, and that's it's the and future I, that that's, we can change. We can't change the yes. past. Exactly. And I think sometimes, again, I, I sort of do smile when I see and hear about these detailed budgets, detailed variances. I think it's just that wanting to get that X level of detail in that we, we developed as accountants. And it actually takes away from the value we can offer as finance right. professionals. Uh, so it's a journey. It's a journey one accounting to find it. And I thought I thought your article gave some really good steps on how we can add plenty of value in the aftermath of COVID nineteen. Um, you know, some some of the thoughts around the scenario planning checklist was great. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the different scenarios we could consider, which are forward looking based on what we're learning at the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, some of those. Uh, did you have any particular favorite in there, uh, David? Well, there are a couple that are interesting to me. You know, obviously the impact of working from home, whether that reflects a structural change in the way work is undertaken, I think is a huge dynamic. And then you think about the potential implications on real estate and property in major cities around the world. 
the related impact of that on things like transportation. You know, you can begin to start to envision a world that looks very, very different. Now, whether that's going to actually manifest itself, I think remains to be seen. I'm pretty certain work at home is going to sustain itself at a far higher level than it has historically. So I think that's a really fascinating one. And then when you think about creating culture and teamwork and collaboration in a physically distanced way, I think there's some interesting challenges for managers and leaders as they think about that one. I think the other interesting thing is really how we're going to adopt how companies are going to manage relationships, the physical experience of going into a shop, the physical experience of going into a bar or a pub. How do we create a sustainable economic model for those types of entities when we have those constraints that are now maybe temporary, but some of them may be permanent? I certainly think increased home delivery is going to be a fact of life. What we've seen is a steady trend, you know, of increased, you know, online shopping has then gone through a step function change, and then it will probably continue its upward growth. But we've seen in about, uh, I was reading an interview with a CEO company, uh, CEO of a company said the last three months have actually fulfilled our three-year projection for the growth in our online business. You know, wow. so it truly has been a step function rather than steady growth. So I think those two dynamics, when you think about where you invest capital, where you deploy mm-hmm. your people, and then how you develop engagement and attraction and uh, stickiness with your customer base are very, very interesting questions. And finance should be at the heart of that discussion in terms of capital allocation and prioritization. And also trying to understand in an uncertain future world what the range of potential returns on those investments might look like. I think it's fascinating. I think there's so much we can do. I, like, I suppose the opportunity for everyone to embrace it. For, for those of our lis- uh, listeners who are eager enough to step forward into this, what are some sort of baby steps they can start taking to start using this opportunity to make a bigger impact in their organizations? Well, I think the first thing we can do is when we think about planning for 2021 is uh, ditch, throw away, destroy the traditional budget process and sit down and have a few what-if conversations. You know, what if these restrictions that we're experiencing at the moment stay in place for the next 18 to 24 months? What's our game plan under that scenario? What's our game plan under a scenario where they progressively relax and then we have a reoccurrence, you know, second wave, third wave, I don't know, whatever you call it, sometime in 2021. So we basically go through a relaxation and then a reimposition of constraints. I think flexibility and agility are absolutely key. And therefore, I would rather sacrifice 80% of the detail that I built into my traditional budget with three or four different views of how we would change our allocation of resources under different future scenarios. And by the way, that's a lot more interesting conversation to have. A lot more interesting, but it does require us to, uh, no, no offense now to you know, spreadsheet jockeys out there that, that use it a lot, but you know, that actually requires a bit more thinking, you know, and engaging and collaborating with other people. It's harder, but I think it's more stimulating. You know, frankly, I didn't go into accounting and finance to play with spreadsheets and to reconcile numbers. Now, there are some people that are very comfortable in that mindset. But where the, the most exciting work I've ever done has been what I always call through debate, discovery, and dialogue. You know, three Ds again. I love acronyms like that. 
But sitting around a table with a bunch of other people and having a discussion about why the numbers look the way they do and what may cause them to change in the future, to me, is far more stimulating than sitting around, you know, trying to crunch the same set of numbers I've done every month then for the last 36 months and trying to make sense of it. So, you know, I think there's a there's a liberation that can take place. You know, I talked about liberating the finance professional. I, th- I think thinking about the future is a much more constructive exercise than reporting the past. We've been forced into a way where we spend so much of our time trying to report the past because barriers are thrown up and are placed in our way. Once we can get rid of those, you know, most finance professionals, and I think people's capacity to change, we always underestimate. Definitely. You look at how people have adapted their lifestyles just over the last 90 days. You know, people talk about, you know, change being a massive cultural barrier. Well, the change in the way society operates, yeah, some people may not follow or like the change, but everybody's life has been impacted over the last 90 to 120 days. And generally speaking, We've got away with it, or we've got on with it. Uh, you know, get get away with it's probably the wrong phrase, but we've got on with it. I'm constantly amazed at the adaptability that people exhibit. You may not agree with how they've adapted, no. but their ability to adapt is unquestioned. I suppose in this digital age, we need to give human beings a bit of credit <laughs> from an agility perspective and adaptability perspective as well. Yeah, you know, I'm constantly amazed. And when I was at Accenture, we did some research, and this was before COVID came up, about digital readiness. One of the things that people said, oh, old people don't like digital technology. The research proved that there was virtually no difference in their willingness to adapt to new tools. If it makes their life easier, gives them value, you know, they're going to adapt to it. They're going to take advantage of it. If you create crappy technology that makes it hard for people to adapt, it doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 60, you're not going to use it. You know, yeah. so good stuff is going to get adapted. And I see this all the time. You know, I'm nearly 60 years old. And I'm, a, I'm playing with all of this stuff. I'm loving it. And I'm screwing it up regularly. But it's creating opportunity and it's creating the capacity to do things that I never dreamt I would be able to do couldn't agree more david couldn't agree more and, and i suppose look you've given us great advice on, on on the show i mean what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received you know it's really interesting there are two things the first one a mentor of mine a long time ago he said yes listen to what people are saying but mm. while they're talking ask yourself why they're saying that why do they think it's important for you to understand this point why have they selected this way of explaining their problem or their pain or their frustration? So it's not just about what, it's about why. And you, I apply that same two-set question to any financial data I look at. What the numbers are is interesting. Why the numbers look the way they do is really helpful because then I can start to do something. So listening to what people say is key. By the way, that's another key lesson. I violating it tremendously at the moment. You know, listening is far more important than talking. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and I learned this with, as I went up in my career, if if help means anything, where I was trying to be a mentor and a coach to other people. What I found is that the questions you ask are more important than the answers you give. And I've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of CEOs, a lot of visionary leaders, both of small dynamic companies and big old elephant companies. And what distinguishes the best CEOs from the worst is they ask questions rather than give answers. And I think one of the biggest challenges when you go through a career is that tipping point 
where the value you deliver changes from the answers you give to the questions you ask. And the best mentors I've worked with, and I always try to do this with people I'm mentoring, I'm valuable to them by the questions I ask them, not the answers I give them. So if I ask them, why do you think that's important? Or what should that number really look like? What's your opinion? I'm asking them a question rather than them coming to see, I don't understand this. And then I just, oh, well, here's the answer. They've learned nothing. They've not learned how to solve that problem for themselves. So the questions you ask are more important than the answers you give. That's a great point. And I think that's very difficult for a lot of people developing in their careers as they as they're getting more senior getting more experience is you said that that tipping point because if you, it makes common sense also having gone through it i suppose david ourselves is that that's how you scale yourself is getting helping other people it's like you know rather than give someone a, a fish i think as the expression goes give them a fishing rod and teach them how yeah, to fish exactly. you know it's like it we, we get the idea of scale but i suppose you know when your early profession and careers is based on knowing the answers to questions and knowing stuff and being able to answer competently, quickly and accurately, right. that's quite hard for a lot of us to switch over. Uh, any sort of tips on how to, to get to me, it's a difference between management and leadership. Because the other thing, I, I had a couple of bosses early in my career that I don't think were great role models because they would punish you for being wrong. And I've always said to people, uh, I don't care if you're wrong. What I care about is when you don't tell me. I can't help you if I don't know. If the client comes to me or the customer comes to me and complains because you screwed something up, it's too late. I can't do anything about it. But if you come to me and say, I'm stuck, or I think I made a mistake here, I can then help you. And so, you know, I was always a mindset, no surprises. I don't mind if they're bad things. I really don't. I make mistakes every day of my life. And for me, it was very hard early in my career to... You know, you try and hide things sometimes. And very quickly, I learned every time I tried to hide something, I got found out. It doesn't work. And it took me probably 10 or 15 years to get comfortable with going to my boss or a peer or whatever and say, look, I just really don't know what to do next. Give me some ideas. I think that's it for our listeners is don't get frustrated. This journey doesn't happen overnight. It's not one of those things you wake you up in the morning. You do it by you yourself. There are people there who are willing to help you. David, that was the worst one for me. And like that was one of the reasons why we started the show was that the first time I actually went and got some help, it completely changed the direction of my career. And then it's, oh, I should ask for help. But I still found it difficult to ask for help for myself. So hence the podcast, ask for help on behalf of other people, our listeners in over 160 plus countries now. So, you know, it's like, it's so much easier to, you know, so if it's it's hard for yourself, ask for someone else, but, but do ask for help. There's, there's loads of people who've probably gone through similar. And it's really cool because I had a phone call yesterday with someone I haven't worked with for 25 years who we'd worked together and he reached out and he wanted some advice. And we've spoken periodically over the years, but we haven't worked together. But because I was happy to have dialogues, you know, I don't know whether my advice is worth anything, but, you know, he valued it <laughs> enough to reach out and ask me the question. I've got lots of people I used to yeah. work with who I engage in conversations with. because I really enjoy that because I learn stuff. Yeah, I, I find sometimes we actually learn more about ourselves in those conversations <laughs> than, you know, so we get value from it as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I suppose, David, look, um, our audience, they, they always sort of like following up on resources, articles, books, and so on. Would you have any maybe recommended resources or books you could recommend our audience go check out? I've become, I've become less a fan of books. I've become more a fan of dialogue and interaction. 
So, you know, I think mm. situations like this, I think podcasts that condense information into 10 to 15 minute sound bites are far valuable than, yeah. you know, two hour lectures. I have a very diverse set of sources. But in my career, I can tell you, I've read The Economist and The Wall Street Journal every week or every day for the last 10 years at least. And the amount of triggers in terms of information, staying current, triggering a line of thinking, I don't point people to a single resource because I think it's a discovery process. Mm -hmm. And we're in an environment today where you have to pursue your interests and your passions. And the cool thing, it can be a downside, but the cool thing about you know Google or other types of search mechanism is you can actually follow very wavy or circuitous paths that create interest and stimulation. And so, you know, there are a number of different sources I go to. I do like going to the professional organizations and some of the top academics because it's interesting because they tend to be thinking a little less constrained by the day-to-day, -day, you know, the pain that we're having today. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy listening to leaders talk about not not write, but talk about how they run their businesses and their companies, particularly those that are in an innovative mindset. Today, I've you know, in the last few weeks, I've really enjoyed leaders talk about you know how they've adapted to the workforce changes that are occurring within their businesses, and it's really interesting to me. It's taken COVID nineteen for a lot of leaders to walk the talk because for 25 years, you know, in every annual report, people are our most valuable resource. Well, in many cases, you know, they weren't walking that talk. Over the last few weeks and months, I've, I've begun to see that the, the level of engagement with employees to make them feel comfortable, and perhaps more importantly, well, not more importantly, equally important, the level of engagement with customers and suppliers to get them to trust an organization I actually think trust is becoming one of the most significant buying triggers today. You know, whether it's a referral from a friend is far more effective than an advert on a TV show or, you know, on a YouTube video or something. That may generate awareness, but nearly all of our buying choices, and even me as an old guy, are, are referral. You know, I read someone who says, this is really good and why I like it. And I can relate to that person. So I think, okay, I can see how that may work for me. You know, it's always been that way in terms of where are the best bars when I was a student, you know. So, But now we're translating that to just not where are the best places to get a drink, or in my case, cheapest, where are yeah, the cheapest yeah. places to get a drink. So like a true accounting and finance professional. <laughs> yes, the economics always play a role. So now it's decisions around my whole life. You know, my choices around who I help manage my investments are based upon personal referral. It's taking a person that, whose opinion you trust and respect, maybe not just a single person, maybe multiple, and using that to translate to your own situation. The same thing occurs in your career. I was very fortunate in my finance and accounting career to have some mentors who were willing to sit yeah. down and talk to me okay. and whose opinion I respected. And I saw them in action, how they reacted to a client, how they analyzed data. And I thought, oh, that person's great engaging with people, which I'm not very good at. And that person's really good at playing with numbers. So I'll take a bit of what they do and a bit of what they do, and I can take a, both of those and make myself a little bit better. That's, that, that's fantastic advice. Uh, I hope our audience are lapping this up. <laughs> I was just busy writing notes, David, uh, which our audience can't see. Um, but I suppose, look, if our audience did wish to continue the conversation, uh, where's the best place to connect with you at? They can connect with me at davidaxon.com. 
I actually own that. So www.davidaxon.com or LinkedIn. I publish all of my content on LinkedIn as well. And I've got one final thing for, for people in finance accounting. The phrase I'm using now is your job starts when you deliver the report or the analysis. Now, in my finance and accounting career, certainly in the early years, when I hit send on that email, I would say, thank God that's over with for another month or quarter. I don't have to worry about creating that report. But your reporting, your analysis is only as good as the decisions people make based upon it. And one of the big advantages that technology is bringing to the table today is we can get to the point where the report or the analysis is available a lot quicker. So if you don't focus on how that information is used, guess what? You're going to be out of a job because the reporting and the analysis will be done for you. Your job is to help people interpret and make better business decisions and to improve their personal and professional lives on the basis of that information. So just remember that your job starts when you deliver the report or the analysis. And then think about how that applies to where you spend your time today. And that can be a huge step forward. That's a fantastic parting thought to leave with our audience, David. Um, look, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Your your journey, your three T's, your three D's. Um, oh, <laughs> great bits of advice. Three D's when I was in high school. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's just absolutely awesome. So thank you so much for investing your time today and coming on Strength and Numbers. Thank you so cool. Awesome. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.